The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Ellen Debenport. And hello again, this is Ellen Debenport here with Voices of Unity. This is a show that invites different new thought leaders to share their wisdom and expertise, often to help you dive deep into spiritual topics so you can discover new ideas and practices that will enhance your life. We started last week and through the month of June, Jackie Fernandez is joining me for a Pride series, and we have a number of guests lined up. Jackie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So glad to be here with you, Ellen. We are here in the tower at Unity Village on a gorgeous spring day, and we're really excited today that our guest is David Lewis Peart, who is many things. But are you there, David? I am. I am. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. Just to to brief the listeners, David is Canadian. He is from Toronto. He was ordained as a New Thought minister. He established something called the Sunset Service Toronto Fellowship that I want to ask you about in a little bit. He is also a 2018 Walden Award nominee. The Walden Awards are New Thought Awards given by a number of New Thought organizations, Unity, CSL, Agape, and others. And his award was in the Next Generation category. So we'll also talk to David about young people. And he's speaking in a couple of weeks here at the Unity Worldwide Ministries Convention. It's called the Unity People's Convention. So everyone will get to hear from him, but you get you get to hear him first on this show. So, David, I'm, there's so much to talk to you about, I'm not even sure where to start. But could you just tell us your story of growing up and coming out? Um, my story of growing up and coming out. Um, I came out when I was 14 um, as LGBT. Um, and later in my teens, I attended a alternative school for an alternative high school for LGBT youth here in Toronto called the Triangle Program. Hmm. Um, the Triangle Program is housed within uh, the Metropolitan Community Church of Toronto. And we know MCC churches all over the world mm-hmm. are known for their LGBT activism and advocacy. And so here in Toronto, under uh, at the time, the guidance of Reverend Ben Hawks, uh, Triangle Program was held there. And, and sort of I came into myself uh, in my teens, and, and Triangle was a part of that. Um, yeah, it was, it's been a, a journey, a continuing journey, you know, because it's m- multiple types of coming out. Um, but uh, in terms of my LGBTQ identity, um, that was in my teens. I didn't know MCC had schools. What a good idea. So it, it, it houses the school. It's actually a part of our Toronto District School Board. It's, it's a designated school, a part of our school board. But um, given the, the kind of work that MCC Toronto had been engaged in for quite a number of years, um, 
it was sort of a natural partnership. And so for, I believe it is the last 20 years, uh, the Triangle Program has been run uh, as part of uh, some of the MCC Toronto programs. And, uh, and it's expanded and grown over the years. When I was a student, I don't think we had more than 12 students at a time. I think that they've um, tripled that amount in terms of their yearly cohort, from what I understand. Yeah. Do you think it helped with self-acceptance and a sense of worthiness to go to school with other gay kids? Um, I think it was an experience that did very much help me to better understand my uh, identity as an LGBTQ person. Um, I think that I got, for example, I made relationships that I think were really integral to my coming out process to this day. Uh, my, my best friend I had made there, uh, he and I had been friends since we were about 16, 17 years old. And mm. we met uh, there at, at school um, and we're friends to this day. And so um, a lot of great relationships were made for sure through that program. Um, I benefited, I think, a lot from my time there, though it was short. Um, I, I definitely did learn quite a bit about myself through uh, participation in a program like that. Were you there for all of high school? Was it a four-year program? No. I had bounced around, okay. as I think is the story for many uh, uh, queer youth. Because of many different kinds of challenges, I had bounced around, one of them being some somewhat my identity. Um, I also grew up uh, for part of my uh, adolescence in the care of, of, of the state. And so uh, high school was a time of transition as I moved out of care and back uh, into my uh, home environment and coming into myself as a, a LGBT person. And so there was a lot going on between <laughs> between those, those high school years. Um, and so I bounced around a lot and, and even for a time had dropped out of school uh, and worked at McDonald's <laughs> mm. and hung out uh, in Cotter Park and uh, made friends with the the nomadic kids <laughs> uh, before finally returning to school and, and completing my, my time. Wow. So I'm guessing the experiences that you're describing right now are integral to what has motivated you to work with LGBTQ youth. Uh, for sure. I think that that's been part of my work. Um, I trained as a human services counselor, and so I've worked with a range of, of different folk. Okay. homeless population, people with mental health and addictions issues, young people, families that work in child welfare. Um, but uh, a part of my career, at least uh, a good five years, was spent doing work with uh, other LGBT youth. Interestingly enough, while I myself was uh, technically a, a, a youth, uh, and so that was definitely a part of my career and, and my trajectory. That's wonderful. That's important work. And especially when you can come come to it from, you know, an experience of, you know, having lived through a lot. It sounds like uh, yeah. you went through it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What do you think are some of the most important issues for the LGBTQ community right now? What are some of the most important issues? Um... I think, you know, we're seeing that sort of the world over right now, there is 
a resurgence of um, anti-LGBT sentiment. You know, that's not necessarily new. It's been on for quite some time, though there have been advances in the Western world. We know that uh, still in a number of countries all over the world, uh, being gay, lesbian, transgendered um, is still punishable uh, in some instances by death. Um, we know that despite a lot of the advances that are happening here in the West, that there are continually you know, erosions to some of those rights um, in the recent years. And I think that, you know, the issues that are, we're facing today are very similar to the issues that we're facing in yesteryear. It's just having folks uh, recognize us as uh, full members of the human family, you mm-hmm. know, um, as remedial as that might sound. I, I think for so many folks, particularly within religious communities, there is a, a feeling that, uh, that we're not part of the body. Right? and that we're not part of the family of the human experience, and that somehow we're a uh, uh, soured fruit on the tree. Hmm. And so I think that a lot of uh, our work is still about getting people to recognize and realize that we are and have always been here, um, and that we're family. So how do you do that? <laughs> you tell me, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um I think, you know, and I and I and I give credit to a lot of the folks who do sort of uh, big A activism work and are leading the charge around addressing some of these violences. I was just at um, a fundraising event for uh, Rainbow Railroad here in in Toronto just the other day at uh, uh, the Museum of Contemporary Art here in Toronto. Rainbow Railroad is an, a Toronto-based but internationally known organization that does um, work supporting refugees, uh, LGBTQ refugees fleeing countries where um, their lives are at risk. And so there, you know, there's a lot of great work being done, big A activism being done in the world to support LGBT folks, to advocate for um, our rights, um, to keep folks safe. But I also think that there is room for sort of the little A activism, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the everyday kind of work that we do in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our towns, in our cities, um, and with ourselves, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I, I read in the news that there was uh, uh, been headlines about the the uh, uh, president or prime minister, rather, of the Philippines and uh, his sort of disclosure that he had once been gay and had cured himself. And that has been a sort of a, a hot topic in the media right now. And uh, and this is a big, you know, world figure. And so this idea that, you know, even that work within ourselves to come to terms with who it is that we are is some of the activism work that we need to do. Just accepting ourselves as full, whole complete and complex being inclusive of our sexual self is is the activism work too. And uh, in the recent years for me, I, my big A activism has become a lot more little A activism with myself around where where am I challenged? Where have I been challenged around myself and my acceptance, you know? So, yeah. 
That's beautiful. I love around the dinner table. I love that delineation between the capital A activism, you know, big A, little A, um, because it is, you know, and, you know, spiritually speaking, um, you know, we often refer to the capital S self as the highest self, the higher self, the Christ self. And then, you know, the lowercase self is, you know, our, our ego self, our person. And, right. you know, it becomes our work to, to work with the awareness of both and the integration of both. And I, I love bringing that concept into um, the conversation of activism because it does begin within and it does begin with your own um, experience of self-acceptance, your own, you know, contextualizing yourself in your community and who you are and really coming to terms with that um, before you start going out, you know, and carrying a torch for anyone. For sure. And there's a lot of us who go out and carry torches only to find ourselves consumed by that fire, right? Yes. And so I think that's because, it's the, you know, as within, so without. You know what I mean? As within, so without. And uh, and too often, I think we, we focus only on the out and not the in. Um, and it's sort of like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship is already yeah. going down. You've got to focus on the whole. Right. And well, and it's empowering. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, and it can be overwhelming to think of well, what difference, what impact can I make when I go out there, you know, mm-hmm. and to, to realize how important it is to do those, you know, the little a activism, those steps, that's uh, yeah. the self-care, the self-acknowledgement, the self-empowerment, and even just, you know, in how you live your life, um, you know, in your community and you're just in your family, in your home. And and yeah. in the places where you interface on a regular basis, um, without being being overwhelmed by what does this look like, you know, at a macro scale when I go out into the world, right. or um, so it can actually, you know, compel you to be more just aware of what um, every intentional step of um, even just a conversation and the impact that can, that can have on the world and on someone's life and yeah. and you know that sort of. Um, chain reaction for sure it's like drops in a bucket right yeah so you do so many things what are a couple of the most exciting things you're working on right now (laughs) uh exciting thing um right now most pressing i've got a number of pressing things but uh i'm i'm writing and i'm engaged in some sort of theater work here in the city um, with uh, two residencies that I'm uh, engaged in, one with a theater company out here called Buddies and Bad Times Theater, which is, uh, and it just celebrated its 40th anniversary. It's a, an LGBT-focused, um, quite well-known theater company here in the city. And I'm uh, completing a, a residency, a writer's residency, alongside some of my friends and colleagues in uh, a collective uh, that we have called We Other Sons. Um, and so we're working on a piece that we'll be showcasing as part of their Pride uh, programming in, later in June, a piece called What's Done Must Come, and it's focused on the experiences of queer men of color, uh, particularly around uh, our, our sexuality and, and sex, and the sort of intersections of the sacred and the profane. And so that's coming up. Um, and then I'm doing another residency with a, a theater company called Obsidian Theatre, which is a um, African-Caribbean uh, and African-Canadian-focused theatre company here in the city. And I'm, uh, we'll be showcasing some reading, uh, a reading, rather, of a play that I've been working on called Shame the Devil, which is um, 
sort of biomyth um, based on, on some of my life and uh, journey, particularly around my faith. Um, and so those are two of the sort of pressing things uh, that I'm sort of excited about and trepidatious around. Um, and then I'm also engaged in some work here in the city, working with uh, black children, youth, and families. And so those are the things that are currently <laughs> on my plate at the moment. That's a full plate. Yeah. And yeah. and so um, as a playwright, are you also, are you involved in directing um, the shows, getting them up on their feet? Or what's your, does your role just end at, at the playwright? Not that, not not just at, but you know what I mean? <laughs> are, are you also seeing the the project all the way through? Um, and so for the piece being done with uh, the collective We Other Sons, I'm actually, we, we all are rather, both writing and performing uh, that piece. Um, and so um, we're involved from start to finish um, in that process. And then with uh, Shame the Devil, uh, my role is, is simply as, uh, as playwright. And, um, and some really awesome folks have come on board to support around directing. Um, Leighton, uh, who's a, a, an awesome, talented uh, actor and producer and playwright in his own right, will be directing that and uh, a number of actors coming on board to do what's called a reading. So it's sort of like um, the preview mm-hmm. before uh, the full-fledged programming. Awesome. Those sound like really fantastic projects. Um, do you want to talk more about Shame the Devil since that's you know, somewhat autobiographical, as you're saying? Yeah. So, um, Shame the Devil is a piece that I have been working on since probably about 2016. Um, and it began as sort of a, a writing project for myself as I began to move through a really challenging time for myself. Um, I moved, left Toronto and moved to England uh, on a wish and a prayer and, uh, and spent a year in England. Uh, working in the area of child welfare, but uh, also working on my own sort of personal journey. Um, and much of it had to do with my own journey around my, my faith and my walk uh, with what I understood as, as my relationship with um, creator, the universe. And a lot of sort of emergencies happened for me during that time that uh, had me come sort of face-to-face with some of the things that I hadn't been really relating to for quite some time, particularly issues of grief and loss um, and doubt. And so I began what, you know, many would coin as the, that dark night of the soul walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and during that walk, I began to write, I began to journal. And so it's some of that work that has then translated itself into uh, uh, and transformed itself into what would be the foundation for the material for this piece. Yeah, a lot of the best art, right, in every form comes from the dark night of the soul, that experience. Yeah. Do you feel like, as an artist, as a writer, is that um, sort of your, does it become like, um, you know, is it an outcome of, is it part of your journey working through that dark night? Is it, you know, chicken and egg, which comes first? Or is it all sort of unfold at the same time? So I feel like um, I've been dilly-dallying around myself as an artist and writer and creator. Um, during my time, you know, leading ministry and um, 
Sunset Service, as you may mention, um, art and uh, art was definitely a, a, a component of the ministry. Um, we sort of named it as such, spiritual arts community. Um, but I hadn't really sort of claimed the names and owned uh, myself as a, a writer, creator, and artist in quite uh, that sort of forward way. And it wasn't until I had started that sort of walk through a really challenging time and realized that, you know, in the absence of so many of my knowns and familiars, the only thing I could do sometimes was just put pen to paper. And, uh, and it, began, it began a sort of natural process of um, unloading and in the unloading, uh, uncovering. And yeah. so, yeah, like the, the, the chicken and the egg was, I think, the pain of the unknown, um, and that it was my outlet. It was my outlet. Such is the creative process. I'd like to hear more about your spiritual journey. You're a New Thought guy, Course in Miracles guy, mm. um, and you were, what, a teenager when you discovered this spiritual path? Yeah, I... I grew up in a really religious home, uh, very uh, Christian religious home. My mother was a nurse, but had wanted to be a minister, and I definitely felt that in the environment that I was raised in. Mm-hmm. Um, but religion was also really um, toxic for me in the way that it, it was offered up in my home, and uh, and so I, I sort of walked away from all of those sorts of things for um, quite some time. And during my coming out process, and because my coming out process was so difficult, and you know I wasn't really well accepted uh, by my mother and my in my home, um, I really went out into the world, right? And <laughs> and I was running the streets and acting a fool, and um, and one pride actually, actually I think my first pride, I bumped into a former uh, middle school teacher of mine, Miss Bailey. And Miss Bailey had been so kind to me um, during my middle school years at a time where I was really struggling with being in my own body. Right? I was a, an overweight kid. I lived in the care system. I was not uh, quite popular. I didn't have very many friends. And Miss Bailey reached out to me and uh, we spent many a lunch period conversing and building relationships. And then I hadn't seen her for some time. And then during my high school, years uh during my first pride um i bumped into her quite randomly you know and uh, long story made short she um built back relationship with me and during that time she ended up sharing with me that a colleague of hers uh, attended this church community that she thought that i might be interested in, in, in checking out at the time i was so not about anything church related mm-hmm. and so i sort of put it on the back burner and one uh, one Sunday morning, uh, I tell this story often, but one Sunday morning after a very long and very full Saturday, as uh, <laughs> was sort of commonplace for me as a teenager, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was drunk. <laughs> and um, I woke up and I found myself uh, heading to this church. And I remember going into this church service uh, at the time, which was held above... Uh, a mental health agency and uh, out here in, in Toronto called uh, Center for Addiction and Mental Health. 
and I sat in the back of this church, and um, about a hundred or so, mostly black people, and I listened to this beautiful, beautiful opening meditation uh, and some words by the minister, um, who I would later come to know as Reverend Evan Reed. And uh, he said a couple things to me that really resonated. And uh, I don't know if it had been the slight hangover from the night before or whatever, but I was super receptive. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, started off by saying, you know, God is not a man in the sky, but a presence and a power that permeates all things. Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Omnipresent meaning everywhere God is. And if that's true, God is perfect, God is whole, and God is complete. That that means then wherever you are, just as you are, you are perfect, you are whole, and you are complete. And I just remember sitting in the back of the church and just being really overwhelmed by emotion. It was the first time I had heard from the mouth of a, a minister, and particularly a Caribbean, you know, black minister, uh, that just as I was, I was okay. And, uh, and I cried. And I cried, and uh, they have a part of the service, uh, they had a part of the service at the time where the congregation sort of lifts up their hands, uh, and then they sort of affirm that we love you, we bless you, and we thank God for you. Mm-hmm. And I just was just overwhelmed and overcome by um, this sense of acceptance. And, uh, and I left the church that, that afternoon, and I walked home, and the sun was shining brighter, and the birds were chirping louder, and everything was turned up a notch. And I sort of made this sort of inner commitment that, you know, I wanted to get to know this God that this minister was speaking about, because it didn't sound like the God that I knew of, the God that I had been raised with, um, and sort of uh, came to know. And that began my exploration of faith which is still an ongoing one. Okay. I want to hear more about it, but we are coming up on the break. So we'll have a few messages and then we'll be back with David Lewis. There's lots more to talk about in terms of pride and spirituality and youth and many other things. So we'll be back with Voices of Unity after this. listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating Pride Month with the LGBTQ community. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Eric Butterworth. So we're always into this thing called time. It's very hard to free ourselves from the pressure and the limitations and the boundary lines 
which time sets down. So that in partial experience, in human consciousness, we have what we call deadlines, which are an abomination in human experience. But in the whole of things, we have only alive lines. We live in eternity, and time is always now. In the eternal of you, there is a completed whole, there's a finished kingdom, and all that you do and seek to do is always complete in infinite mind. And as we say, it can be done in a twinkling of a second, or it can be done in hours, it can be done in days, or we can stew and fret about it all of our lives. In God, it is now done. To hear more talks from Eric Butterworth, visit truthunity.net. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. Indian saint and mystic Kabir is quoted as saying, One drop of divine love can turn you to gold. Immerse yourself in the work of Kabir with acclaimed poet, author, and spiritual teacher Andrew Harvey in his book, Turn Me to Gold, 108 Poems of Kabir. Andrew shares the powerful and timeless words of Kabir in a way that is accessible to all with beautiful photography by Brett Hurd. This is a book you will turn to again and again. Available now at Amazon.com or Unity.org shop. Create a path to success and prosperity with May McCarthy and Abundance Incorporated every Thursday at 2 p.m. Central on UnityOnlineRadio.org. A co-founder of seven successful companies, an angel investor, best-selling author, and international speaker, May will help you each week with spiritual and practical tools you can use to create a life that you love with greater health, happiness, wealth, and freedom. Join the show live with your questions or listen later on demand right here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Ellen Devonport. We are back and still talking with David Lewis Peart, who is part of our Pride series for the month of June. David's in Canada and doing so many things. Uh, we, we have a long list here. David, is there a website or is there a place that listeners could find out more about you or read your plays or poems or anything? You can follow me on social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, um, David Lewis Peart on all of those platforms, D-A-V-I-D-L-E-W-I-S hyphen P-E-A-R-T. Um, and those are some of the places that you can you can find me. My website is not up uh, at the moment any longer, but I'm active on social media. You gotta get a website. There's, I mean, there's just so I, many I interesting one. things about you. I had one, and uh, and it was up for quite some time, and and then I made the decision to just step back for a second and and regroup. Yeah, which I think is quite in line with a lot of where I've been at professionally as well. Just yeah, regrouping. Right. Yeah. You were in charge of, apparently, as I read it, all of the youth and young adult programming for the Parliament of World's Religions last year, the Next Generation Task Force. 
Yeah. What'd so you, I was the, the co-chair. What did you do? The co- Yeah. So I, let's be also honest first. I, I was co-chair <laughs> alongside an amazing, talented um, young woman named Sara Rahim, who uh, was my colleague uh, and does some great work out in Chicago. And so um, I was appointed the Canadian uh, rep and co-chair for the task force. And alongside Sarah and about uh, eight or nine other young uh, adults across the world, um, we were sort of collectively responsible for um, planning and organizing the uh, youth and young adults programs for the parliament. And so uh, all of the sort of things focused on folks 35 and under, that was uh, Sarah, myself, and our, and, our, uh, and our committee, our task force. And so... Yeah, it was a great experience. We had a great turnout, a, a lot of great representation from young people. Uh, and there's a lot of great young people across the globe doing some amazing things in and around the area of faith and interfaith work. Are they doing it through churches or outside? Some people are, are doing it independently. Um, we had people representing uh, large organizations, some part of churches and mosques and temples. Um, again, the parliament represents uh, a wide range of faith communities, and so our task force also attempted to reflect that. And so there were folks like myself representing New Thought. Uh, there were folks from within the Muslim community, the Baha'i faith, uh, the Hindu community, and, uh, and a number of others. And so we all sort of uh, galvanized our energies together and uh, tried to put on a programming that was sort of reflective of the diversity of faith communities in, uh, across the world. Jackie, you were at the Parliament. I was, and there was so much to see. <laughs> I did stop in. There was a dedicated room um, yep. for the next generation, and I did stop in there for some of the um, programming. Um, and, of course, you were you had a keynote in the big space one evening, yeah. so I was there for that. Um, but it was tremendous, and I, I was um, – I, it was exciting to see the diversity, of course, of religion, but of age, and that there was, I think, a really solid representation, um, you know, by the next generation. And and that's exciting uh, to see such vibrancy uh, coming forward. And, you know, and I kind of, you know, I have a similar question of what, you know, I mean, church is obviously um, shifting and changing, but that there's also a limitation to that context because the assumption there is, you know, traditional church, which is Christian church. And so I love like bringing, bringing into that, you know, the diversity of, of faith and the diversity of spiritual community and what that looks like. And I'm curious if you have perspective through your work with the parliament, um, is there a shift in, in other types of spiritual community um, experiences? Yeah, I think that for a lot of young adults, the idea of spiritual community and faith community looks different than um, I think it has for quite some time. Just even uh, yesterday, I I attend a number of different spiritual communities, and you know, I, I'm a I'm a nomad. I, I sort of go wherever I'm called, and I attend a sort of more mainstream, quite uh, popular church community um, here in the city, but actually it's home churches in uh, the state, uh, Elevation Worship, mm-hmm. and um, great, great pastor, Pastor Steve Furtick. And a lot of young people in attendance uh, at uh, our Toronto site. 
And even just yesterday, you know, quite organically, a group of us sort of gathered after the service and were in conversation. And um, it, it was sort of a decision to sort of start another informal group <laughs> um, to, to come together outside of uh, the Monday and, and Sunday services that are held there. And um, I think that that's sort of our, the natural instinct of millennials, of young young adults is that um, even within sort of traditional spaces, there's a desire for more informal and organic um, relationship building. And that's why we see things like uh, communities springing up online, um, and then of course, communities springing up uh, uh, outside of and those spaces becoming quite popular. I, I think the sort of bricks and mortar, uh, spiritual communities, churches, temples, mosques, for many young people, not for all, um, are preferred. You know, I think people are hungry for relationships more than they are for um, religion and, and buildings. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've been def- definitely witness to and participant in in that. Well, and that's exciting to hear, too, you know, and, and to witness that um, shift, that the hunger for relationship, because that that is, you know, the core of spiritual community is is how we um how we create community, which is all about relationship. And so getting away from the institution of church or spiritual experience and into the, right. that community experience, which is, you know, in some right. ways tribal, but to do it um, from an evolved perspective where it's not, uh, it's not a limiting um, use of the word tribal. For sure. For sure. And like what a uh, perfect time to begin to explore that because we're in a moment that is very tribal, right? Like we're yeah. all sort of segmenting off. Mm-hmm. Uh, online spaces don't help. <laughs> they've, right. they've sort of exacerbated those divisions. And so there's, you know, more and more folks who are just like, oh, I just want to be in relationship with other people and not to be segmented away from or off of others. And spiritual community is one way of doing that. It's not the only way, but it's one way of doing that if it's done well. So, yeah, I'm just thinking um, next week, Unity is having its graduation and ordination for another batch of ministerial students. And I I don't know these particular grads, but most of the students I've talked to are not interested in being the preacher in a brick and mortar church. They want to find other forms of ministry and that term has become a lot broader for me since I was ordained 20 years ago. Okay. How you, so? You started, you founded this thing called the Sunset Service Toronto Fellowship. Was that a church or what? what is that? Was it still there? Yeah, it was a church without walls. It was a spiritual community that uh, um, I, alongside uh, co-founder Reverend Shia Paspanochka, started back in 2011-2012 and it was an organically sort of grown idea uh, one pride I think in 2011 we were invited uh, Shev and I at the time had been doing workshops in and around the city uh, about faith and uh, a focus on you know racialized folks and people within the LGBTQ spectrum and uh, we were invited uh, to a Pride event. And uh, they had initially asked us to sort of sit on a, a 
panel and talk about being queer and being uh, of color and being uh, involved in the faith community. And we sort of just felt led to do something a bit different, you know, enough talking heads. We have, we have a lot of those things going on already. Let's have a service. And, uh, and we pulled together some of our friends and colleagues and community members from all different backgrounds, from the Islamic community, New Thoughts community. Um, we had folks like uh, Imam al Furukaki, who is the founder of the, the Unity Mosque, which is a um, egalitarian mosque community uh, that is now, I think, global. But uh, and, and Kim Katrine Milan, who's a well-known LGBTQ educator, uh, an activist and social media personality. And we held this service and there was music and there were sermons and there was prayer. Um, and 150 folks showed up to um, the 519 uh, LGBT community center here in Toronto. And we had church mm-hmm. and there was drums and there's music and there's energy. And, uh, And um, that was sort of the birthplace of it. After the service, um, there was like a lineup of folks and they were all like, when is the next service? (laughs) And so we put our heads together and realized, oh, maybe we actually have to like do a thing. Yeah. And initially, the sunset service was just the service that we were holding at sunset. The first sunset service was just the service held at sunset. Okay. Uh, And then it became Sunset Service, uh, Toronto Fellowship. And uh, the idea sort of came to us around, like, who was it that we were feeling called at the time to serve? Mm -hmm. And it was essentially us. We were young people of color. We were grappling with uh, our faith and what it meant, even as as New Thought practitioners, what that meant for us. Um, And we were like, if we're having these questions and needing the space, to hold the fullness of who we are. And perhaps, as was evidenced during this Pride service, there is others who need that too. And so um, we began holding quarterly services. And in addition to those quarterly services, we held uh, weekly gatherings. And those gatherings were discussion groups where we delved into readings, uh, some secular, some religious, uh, and gathered and performed music and plays and um, really just delved into the questions. And uh, yeah, it was a great experience. And uh, and it's continuing to this day now, um, now under the leadership of uh, a young minister by the name of, of Other Peart. And she leads the community now and does some interesting stuff. There's a podcast and they hold pop-up events. And um, not too long ago held a a transition ceremony for uh, trans-identified community members where there was a sort of rites of passage um, for young people and older folks who identified as, as, as trans of trans experience. And so they're doing some interesting new things, but always rooted in one community, making sure that folks are included from all kinds of backgrounds, including people of no faith, and that there's a place for the creative and, and the art um, in that work. So, yeah, Sunset Service. How do you work with a whole community? 
keep I keep reading that you work with communities of marginalized people or LGBTQ people uh, or youth. Those are big groups. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, I as we were speaking before about the little A and the capital A, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, my background being in, in counseling and in that work, you know, I realized that you know there's different ways to intervene and there's the sort of one-on-one sort of interventions and relationship building, but then there's also these sort of larger um, interventions that one engages in. And Sunset Service is an example of that, right? Is that essentially Shiaz and I realized in our own lives and saw amongst our friends a feeling of dislocation from spiritual community, uh, a sense of um, not feeling like they could, like we could line up the fullness of ourselves, which is also, as I made mention of earlier, the Saturday, the Saturday night itself and the Sunday morning self, mm-hmm. the more complex parts of who we are, the more fulsome and nuanced parts of who we are, that many of the spiritual communities that we were a part of, including within New Thought communities, didn't seem to have the space to, and the wherewithal to hold all of that. Mm-hmm. And that could have just been a conversation around a dinner table or at the bar between friends. Um, I think what makes it community work was saying the thing that matters for me and that might matter for those in my uh, immediate uh, friend or peer group might actually matter to other people. How can I enlarge in this conversation? How can I extend my hand beyond just those within my immediate circle? And so community work is is taking the conversations and the interventions and the relationships that we build one-on-one with folks and doing it at a larger scale. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that I think, you know, how do you do community? Do what you do in your family, in your homes, in your relationships and invite a few more friends. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay. <laughs> well, and you're modeling it. And then that, you know, that becomes replicable and people see how to engage personally in that way. And then that becomes the community. Right. The community culture sure. and uh, tenor. Yeah. And it's like that film, I can't recall from the 90s that, you know, if you build it, they will come. Like mm-hmm. a lot of community work is what is it that you need, right? What does Rev Jackie, Rev Ellen, what do you all need for you, for yourself? And know that if you need it, and if, if, it's, if it's something that you're called towards, that someone somewhere must also feel that, right? Yeah. And so you build it and you know that and you trust that others will, will also join you on that journey, whatever that journey is, you know? Yeah. So that, that listening part, uh, listening to, to yourself, but also um, to others and to where those same needs show up in others. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Your background and maybe your day jobs um, have been in mental health, right? Yeah. How does that serve what you're doing now? Um, I remember being interviewed a couple of years ago uh, by Huffington Post, and they sort of asked a similar thing. Um, and I, I think it just sort of relates to what I just made mention of is that I realized uh, slowly that the work that I was once engaged in in spiritual community was mental health work. You know, mm-hmm. before the advent of you know the psychiatrist there was the shaman, 
mm-hmm. or, or the priest or the priestess, um, that that spiritual community was and still is doing mental and emotional health work, if done right, you know? Um, and so I think it was a really natural folding in um, for me. One of our first big services uh, that Sunset Service had as we were sort of getting ourselves uh, on our feet um, was titled um, When the Rainbow's Not Enough, uh, based off of the, the writing uh, and, the, and the play um, for colored girls who considered suicide when the rainbow's not enough. Mm-hmm. At the time, uh, we were seeing in the city that there was a lot of mental health happening for folks. There had been a couple of suicides of sort of well-known um, individuals and in community, uh, well-known uh, social worker and community had, had uh, died by, by suicide and was part of the LGBTQ community. And even Shez and I were seeing in our own lives that there was some, a lot going on. I was going through a divorce and she was going through her own loss and grief around some other issues. And we were like, oh my goodness, you know, we're, we're losing the plot, you know, and we're supposed to be the ones holding space for folks. Maybe we need to just hold a service just focused on uh, people going through grief, loss, transition, um, and struggling to hold on. And so we held this service uh, at the time above uh, the Glad Day Bookstore, which is the oldest LGBT uh, bookstore that's uh, housed here in, in Toronto. And again, 200 folks showed up to this cramped little room. And uh, I remember we had brought in some therapists. One of the things that we had decided to do is we were going to have our elders come to support the space, but we also wanted to have some trained clinicians to support us in case, as we had seen in past, people had sort of emotional responses to some of the the direction of the service. Um, A lot of people, you know, when finally in a space where they feel safe enough to be their full selves, let out whatever comes out and so we wanted to make sure that we had supports there so anyways we uh the service was going on and um we had this beautiful testimony given by uh, a young uh, biracial woman out here by the name of Tema smith an amazing woman who does amazing work and uh she was giving a sermon on uh her experiences of losing her grandfather Anyways, during the sermon, uh, it got really emotional, and she ended it off in, in, with a beautiful Hebrew prayer. And uh, the choir came up and began to sing a song. And as the choir was singing, uh, someone started to wail. Like you could hear in the crowd someone just crying. And I remember the elders sort of honing in on this person and going to support this person and I'm looking around frantically for the, the counselors that we brought to support the space. Mm-hmm. But as the elders sort of <laughs> get closer to the sound and we see who is crying, we realize it was actually the counselor that we had brought in to do uh-huh. the support work. Oh. And so <laughs> the elders bring him up to the front of the room and uh, through tears, he ends up sharing that... Uh, the day of the service was actually a year to the date of the passing of his father. And that he and his father had been extremely close for quite some time in his native country. Um, But then he had moved to to Canada to study, uh, to be a a counselor and therapist. 
what he hadn't had happen with his father was he hadn't shared with his father the reality of the fact that he was also gay. And while he had been working up the courage, while he was completing graduate school, working up the courage, working up the courage, he got a phone call one day. And the phone call was from back home letting him know that his father had suddenly and unexpectedly passed away. Mm. He ends up flying back home and uh, at the graveside as the um, pallbearers were throwing dirt on the casket, he folded up a, a letter that he'd written to his father, sharing with him the truth of who he was. And he threw it in with the last throws of dirt. So this therapist ends up sharing that at the front of the room through tears. And you could hear a pin drop in the room. And he uh, comes down off of the, the stage and sits back down and the room is absolutely silent. And then, like felled dominoes, one by one, the room erupts into tears. And I'm losing the plot. Like, I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happening? <laughs> and I call back up the choir to sing, you know, like, like sing a song, maybe sing a song. <laughs> Everything will be okay, sing a song. But as the choir is singing the song, they're, they're singing the song through their own tears. Yeah. And then the service turns into something else. You know, and you look around the room and people are just huddled together, holding each other and crying. And I sort of remember looking over at Shieta, the other side of the room, and we sort of had this sort of unsaid moment where we realized that this is exactly what was required of this moment, in this moment, from the service. People just needed a space to grieve. Yeah. That life is hard, Right. Life is a difficult, difficult thing. And we have a lot of people trying to tell us that it's not, right? A lot of, particularly within the New Thought community, right? Mm -hmm. Think yourself happy, think yourself positive, uh, struggling to hold the, the fullness of life, which is also sometimes the heavy. Yeah. And the space that can be created for people, a safe space for, for people to just fall apart, to break. And that, I think, uh, was what Sunset Service was in that moment. And I think more spiritual communities are needed that, that can hold that for people, especially at this time, right? I think I saw a report that said the scientists are estimating that the world uh, or that human civilization is, is coming to a close in 2050 based on all you know projections. That's some heavy stuff to hold, you know? Mm -hmm. So people are grieving, and uh, spiritual community is definitely needed to, to help people through that. That's profound, you know, and that that is the work of transformation, which, you know, which we profess and like to, you know, speak to. And sometimes that sort of speaking to that can be done carelessly, but to really do the work of giving space for people to to be in their pain and transform in and through that to come through the other side and not that you walk away from an experience like what you're describing and all is well, but uh, certainly right. all is better. And for right. having um, allowed that uh, for each person in that room, but also for the collective community to to go through that together is, is healing on so yeah. many levels. I mean, and even just hearing you talk about it, you know, I'm impacted by that. You know, I'm moved. I'm, you know, brought to tears in my own way and um, experiences in my own life where, you know, of grief and, and, and moving through that and, um, you know, and attaching myself to that hope that, that I feel through what you described. Mm. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. 
for sure. David, we have about 30 seconds left. You'll be here yeah. in a couple of weeks to speak at the Unity People's Convention. Yeah. Have you thought about what sure. you're going to say? Uh, I, my talk, I think, is called Being in the Question. Mm-hmm. And I'll be talking about uh, what it means to have faith when uh, in this moment of doubt and, uh, and fear and, uh, and how to do the walk, the, the, the dark night of the soul walk that so many of us go through, but so few of us speak to, yeah. you know? Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been fascinating, and I look forward to hearing you when you're here. Yeah. Look forward to meeting you in person. So, All the best. David Lewis Peart, this has been Voices of Unity with Ellen Devonport and Jackie Fernandez. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.